Darkcast Network, indie pods with a dark side. January 20th, 2009. Amidst an overwhelming show of support and national pride in the nation's capital, Barack Obama took the stage to swear his presidential oath. Flanked to his left by his wife Michelle and two kids, Sasha and Malia, Obama placed his left hand upon the Lincoln Bible and swore allegiance to faithfully uphold the office of the Presidency of the United States of America. But some observers and commentators saw darker themes amidst the festivities. For at the time, the United States was reeling from a near-financial meltdown from the economic collapse of 2008. The stock markets were wildly gaining and losing value on a week-to-week basis. There were record foreclosures on underwater mortgages, the bankruptcy of various high-level banks, massive government bailouts of financial institutions, and rudderless wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Barack Obama won a historic victory as the first black president, was championed as a media darling, and to many a seeming savior to those who believed in the essential decency of the United States. The Obama presidency was to be different from the warmongering Republican neocons of the previous eight years. His administration would restore human rights, end the wars, stabilize the economic devastation, end the constitutional travesties, and restore faith in American institutions. But there was one man who doubted the messianic rise of this political figure, one who was skeptical of big government, of endless terror wars, of international organizations, and of the creeping authoritarianism of the police state. This man was Alex Jones of Infowars.com. A man who claimed to see through the national fervor and jingoistic posturing, and through his growing popularity on the American right, would produce documentaries that alleged to cut through the childlike admiration of the newly crowned leader of the American empire. And he would start our journey down the rabbit hole with his film, Fall of the Republic, the presidency of Barack H. Obama. Welcome to Smoke-Filled Rooms, a political true crime podcast exploring history's most infamous governments, parties, leaders, policies, and discontents. Hosted by Gregory Zink. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Smoke-Filled Rooms a Darkcast Network show investigating the nexus between political malfeasance and conspiratorial theories. I am your host, Gregory J. Zenk, and today I'm going to do something I haven't done before, a movie review. As noted in the opening segment, I will be looking at Alex Jones's Fall of the Republic, the presidency of Barack H. Obama from 2009. I selected this movie out of pure happenstance because I happened to be looking through an old box in my basement and found these DVDs laying about. So I popped one into my trusty DVD player and went down a trip down memory lane. And I have to say, 
this was a real eye-opener, not because of the content of the movie, but because of the simpler times we used to live in. Times that were markedly pre-cell phone, pre-Trump, pre-Bitcoin, pre-China threat, pre-woke, and pre-COVID. Dare I say, it was a time of naivete. For we really didn't truly understand just how dark things could get when faced with an international crisis. Now at the time, there were a lot of very dark things happening in the American political sphere, and I will get to all those as we go along, I really want to stress just how important it is to look back and see what we've both gained and lost overall. Now this is going to be a loosely edited and freewheeling kind of observation of the movie, so if you'll bear with me, let's get into it and start off with a clip from the movie that prefaces our trip down the proverbial rabbit hole. Last week, the head of the country's central bank floated the idea of dumping the greenback as the world's reserve currency, replacing it with an international currency. Thousands of people gathered to hear Barack Obama deliver key foreign policy speech on his current European tour. His vision for America's place in a new world order. Returning vets could be a risk to our nation. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. And one of the ways that will drive the change is through global governance. I think the new world order is emerging. This is a hoax and a scam which is designed to transfer wealth and power from the private sector to the government sector and from the government of the United States to a world government. And those people who have been yelling, oh, the UN's going to take over global conspiracy theorists, they've been crazy, but now they're right. And who got the money? Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank that has uh, access to the U.S. uh, Federal Reserve's discount. Tell us who they are. No. You know, financial terrorism. They have the ability to tweak the knobs. So in this opening segment, you kind of get a feel for what Jones is going to be going for in the movie. That through the economic collapse of 2008 and the war on terror and various international organizations, the U.S. was becoming exposed to being influenced by high-ranking elite members of the alleged New World Order. And actually, before I get going, I am going to link to the full video, which is available on YouTube for free. Um, And backed up by that, even on the actual DVD copy that I have in my hand right now, uh, Jones quite generously encourages people to copy and share this disc because, quote, there is a war on for your mind. The information contained in this film is vital to the Republic and to the freedom movement worldwide. Until all are made aware, humanity will remain captive to the masters of the new world order. So take action now and visit Infowars.com. End quote. So I don't think we need to worry about any potential uh, copyright issues in playing these clips or um, even in making this podcast in general. So again, if you watch the opening segment, you'll see that it's very ominous, uh, dark, uh, quick cuts back and forth between global elites saying seemingly nefarious things about what they think should happen to America and its place within the international order. And getting back preface style uh, introduction to this, uh, we're investigating this on my political true crime show because if Jones is right, 
then this is the biggest case of treason in world history. And it's interesting because in this movie, he comes off as reasonably credible, but the ideas are kind of out there, whereas it's strange that now he is personally less credible, but his ideas aren't in a post-COVID world. And I guess in talking about Jones in general, I should kind of note where I stand on the man. So I guess I'd have to say that I think I'm well positioned to review his content because I'm not either a full-fledged supporter or a uh, dismissive critic of what he's done or continues to do. Whether you like it or not, he is somewhat of an important figure in American politics, regardless of the deplatforming and cancellation of his existence on social media. He commands millions of followers, he does rallies, he does movies, he does podcasts, and whether you like it or not, his voice is something to be reckoned with, even if some of the things that he says are completely off the wall and ridiculous. Now again, I don't subscribe to everything the man has ever said or done, and I don't think that you should ever look at people in this way when it comes to politics. Everyone is going to be a mixed bag of what you like and don't like. There's going to be things that you agree with and disagree with. But overall, when it comes to dealing with political topics, you should try your best to dig through the garbage and find the gems that are inevitably scattered throughout anyone's content. Now, I'll be the first to admit that Jones's content seems to have an abundance of garbage, but when you get to the gems, they do tend to shine quite brightly. So, again, take everything that he does in this documentary with the complimentary grain of salt and try to think for yourself as you move along, because with the benefit of hindsight, I think there's some things to be gleaned from this movie, but a lot of things that you just simply can't predict with the onset of rapid technological developments, not to mention political developments, social developments, etc., etc. So again, this movie starts off with a montage of creepy images and quotes from globalist thought leaders like Tony Blair, George Soros, Barack Obama, Ben Bernanke, and so on and so on. It sets up the idea that these nefarious political and economic actors are attempting to intentionally destroy the US dollar and set up a global government scheme with climate change being a hinge issue to opening the door. I find this to be of particular interest because way back, even 15 years ago, Jones was wise to the idea that climate change could be used as a potential gateway for international organizations or uh, nefarious elite actors to open the door to not only getting more control over your daily life through maybe things that we see now like central bank digital currencies or carbon taxes or carbon credit schemes mixed with a central bank digital currency, but that it would open the door to international organizations being more and more enmeshed with national governments and their inevitable policies. And again, although it's not even mentioned once during the entirety of this film, it's easy to see now how the Davos crowd in the World Economic Forum should have been more of an issue for Jones if he was posturing this thesis. And there are a lot of notable guests in this documentary, of which I noted Gerald Salente makes various appearances, Max Kaiser, Jesse Ventura, and Webster Tarpley. 
Now, all of these guys have varying levels of credibility where I would put someone like Gerald Salente on the less credible end and uh, Max Kaiser on the more credible end, which, by the way, he does have a semi-decent podcast called The Orange Pill. Um, and I'll get to this eventually, but it is interesting to see Kaiser's take on the financial credibility of the U.S. system when juxtaposed with what we know now about the direction he went in regarding Bitcoin maximalism and trying to uphold that as a legitimate currency. So the movie opens with a segment that charges that the two-party duopoly is a facade for long-term globalist plans. And again, this term globalist, it means something much different now than it did back then. Back then, it meant somebody who was an international actor who sought to globalize the political realm and have essentially world government ambitions or something regarding increasing governmental structures that lead towards an eventual world government. Whereas now, it's kind of slandered as being some sort of anti-Jewish slur. And that kind of sentiment seems to be intrinsically linked to critique of George Soros, who is who happens to be Jewish and is often decried as a globalist and people who seek to defend globalist ideas or uh, delegitimize anyone critiquing globalist plans uh, seem to set that up as some sort of anti-Semitic trope. Whereas people that are in the liberty movement um, and even nationalist people, people of a nationalist bent, this isn't how we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it as a term to let people know that these aren't people who have national interests in mind. They have specifically global ideals, and they want to enact policies nationally that will pave the way for a globalist transition. In essence, it feels like uh, globalist is a scarecrow term, and it's specifically intended to get people to look away from it because of the possible anti-Semitic connection that a lot have linked to it, and I would say falsely linked to it. But again, this is just a side question because the main thesis of the movie is that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States are not adhered to properly, and that this leads to a situation where the geographical entity of the United States is essentially just a piece of land that's up for sale to the highest international bidder, and people are more or less corralled like animals, but led to believe in the mythology of freedom and liberty, despite there being only trace evidence for this assumption. The guests of the movie, including various spots where Jones himself makes uh, testimonials to the camera, they note the transient nature specifically of the global corporate structure and how this factors into globalist calculations. Uh, again, this would essentially boil down to a corporatist argument of a international scope so that whatever is happening nationally, and this, this actually becomes quite apparent in the wake of the COVID regime, where things like international pharmaceutical corporations were able to manipulate federal and uh, local governmental schemes to enact their agenda and push their products 
for the benefit of their shareholders who hold no allegiance to any sort of national idea, but rather to either a globalist kind of utopian progressive ideal or just a straight out greedy, self-interested, profit-driven agenda. And it's actually quite interesting to to watch the parts of this movie again because they frequently brought up this idea, which I which I completely forgot about until this movie, that there was always these conspiratorial ideas of a North American Union uh, prefacing the eventual globalist regime. Uh, and I, I remember listening to like in spe- specifically Lou Dobbs talk about this quite a bit back when he was on CNN. Again, strange to think that. They had a populist Republican on CNN, Lou Dobbs, who would go on every night and constantly harangue anyone he could that the border was being overrun by illegal immigrants. And it's just crazy to think that this wasn't that long ago. This was 14 years ago when Lou Dobbs, a right-leaning Republican, had a national center stage show, which I believe was at 6 p.m. every night, was able to go on the air and try to prod politicians into taking the border seriously. And again, with a lot of these things I'm going to be talking uh, about today, it's easy to see where the fuel for the Trump fire eventually came from. Witchcraft. The occult. Extremist beliefs. Murder. Tune in to Rogue Darkness each Friday and join host Raven as I uncover horrific crimes committed under the misconceptions and misunderstandings of witchcraft and other belief systems. I'll cover a wide range of crimes involving ritualistic killings and extremist beliefs to cult persuasion and supposed possession. Anything and everything that borders the line of horrifying. There's always three sides to a story. Side A, Side B, and then the truth. Let's uncover the truth together and explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Available wherever you get your podcast fix, simply by searching Rogue Darkness. So yes, the North, the North American Union and was supposed to be this idea where uh, Canada, the United States, and Mexico were going to join together in a structure similar to the European Union, and they would issue a currency called the Amero, I think I recall it being called. And this was allegedly the preface to an international regime. So first they would deconstruct the North American borders, and that was part of the argument, I guess, for guys like Dobbs and Jones, uh, who were speaking a lot about border security issues and that the overrunning of the border and making it largely irrelevant could pave the way to just abandon the idea altogether at some point. And a lot of these themes seem to tie into one another quite easily. And again, once we get through this, we'll see that some of them are plausible, some of them are not so plausible. But Max Kaiser, near the beginning of this movie, he brings up a valid point where he explains how the Founding Fathers had this brilliant idea to deconstruct the monarchy into three branches of government and make them all accountable to one another. But over the years, with a combination of governmental centralization of power, along with institutional capture, mostly by corporate entities, Americans are right back where they started with the king because corporatist government essentially stalls 
a CEO slash king figure in the presidency who rules over the country in much the same way a European monarch would. Now, they bring up various uh, themes throughout this. Like one, another popular theme throughout the movie is this, uh, this oligarchical class of, uh, of, of largely corporatist elites crushing populist democracy under the guise of climate control and population reduction. Now, I will note that there are strong veins of climate rejection or skepticism, at best, I think you could say. And far from being on other side of this issue, it is easy to see, after watching this, how prescient his observation was that climate change could be utilized by nefarious people to achieve all sorts of totalitarian ends. And tangential to this idea, it was very interesting to note that he was somewhat ahead of the eight ball with this film in decrying the creeping amount of scientific dictatorship that was making itself prevalent. One that was concerned with population control, global technocratic elites, and a scientific management of the economy and of the society more generally. Although he didn't actually use the word technocratic elite, it is interesting in hindsight to note that that's exactly what he was talking about. More interesting still, tangential to technocracy, is the PMCs, or the professional managerial class that is being largely touted by the post-liberal and paleoconservative slash paleo-libertarian spheres of political commentary. Far from doing it any justice here, I will specifically direct you to listen to Alex von Sternberg's History Impossible episode entitled Stakeholder Nazism, which is a definitive overview of the PMC theory in relationship to things like ESG scores. So check that out if you haven't, and I'll gladly link to that in my show notes. Now again, getting back to our scientific dictatorship point, it is interesting to note that Jones even went further with his ideas about what would happen if a technocratic elite started running the table in American society. And a couple things he specifically mentioned were, again, population control, uh, genetic manipulation. Uh, again, very interesting with uh, scientific developments recently with CRISPR, etc. And again, constant IQ testing for the public. Now, again, he didn't even possibly foresee the ideas of social media manipulation. He didn't see uh, the mRNA vaccine pushing as a, as a means to get people to adhere to a single idea. And even further still, the adoption of AGI or artificial general intelligence when we're starting to see things like uh, possible doctor's jobs getting threatened by a more thorough diagnostic approach that AGI could perform in the wake of traditional medical training. But nonetheless, Jones reminds us that with the inevitable rise of technological development, we are also going to see these technologies be grasped and utilized by nefarious actors who wish for nothing more than their progressive agendas to be installed. And again, it is interesting to note that in this day and age, only 15 years later, the word progressive holds a lot more political currency and was frequently bantied about by people who are critical 
of anything that is going on with the modern left or really anything to do with uh, with Western liberal democracies more generally. So again, he sets up this idea of the scientific dictatorship running in tandem with the big event when this actually when this film was actually made, the 2008 financial collapse, and his insistence that this was to a large degree a manufactured crisis meant to usher in a global currency and a global bank. That is, uh, that Chinese, Europeans, etc., uh, all hold U.S. dollars. And one specific claim he made was that after the end of what was the financial collapse, all these different entities that hold treasury bills and U.S. dollars for trading purposes would dump them simultaneously and force the adoption of a new world order currency. Now, this is interesting for a few reasons. The first is that obviously this didn't happen. And I'm sure that a more conspiratorial-minded person would say that they wanted to do this at the time, but they couldn't because the, the social controls might not have been uh, perfected to the point where they could actually enforce it. So what they needed to in the meantime was to have the Federal Reserve bail out all these companies and all these banks and to a large degree even bail out other countries who were investing in these banks. So that down the road, when the timing was more fitting to their plans, they could implement it more easily. And what's fascinating about this line of thought, not necessarily that it's true, again, not that it's true, but that right now we're seeing the slow decoupling of the U.S. petrodollar as the BRICS plus players, that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and a seemingly growing list of countries like, you know, you, you, you've got uh, Middle Eastern nations joining up with this and a lot of African nations joining up with it. The dumping of the U.S. dollar to trade oil in, largely because of the Russian-Ukraine war, that they want to create their own currency, one that is outside of the U.S. SWIFT banking system and international relations system. One that would essentially free them from U.S. influence to pursue their own national goals. Now again, this is interesting development because it completely goes against the idea that Jones is presenting in the movie that seemingly all the nations of the world are in on this scheme. Well, the last couple of years have proven they're clearly not in on it together and that they're opportunistic actors that will go along with whatever is in their national interest. So as a point against Jones's assertions, the state still seems to be supreme, even though they are almost all largely backed by corporatist entities and oligarchies. And at this point in the movie, Jones quickly dips back into American history and specifically back to 1913 as he does a shallow dive into the Federal Reserve creation and that the framers of this institution knew that the currency would eventually collapse on itself and that it's essentially been a shell game ever since of various administrations passing the buck and trying to extend the, the reach of their fiat so that it just wasn't them holding the bag at the end. It would be the next guy. So Jones posits the idea that the idea was to keep this game going for as long as possible. But behind the scenes, and a big uh, 
villain throughout this entire movie he keeps bringing up is John Rockefeller and various old school uh, plutocrats who he thought through their family lineage would eventually set themselves up to be the elite that would usher in a new world order by combining religion, business, and government into one overarching entity that would be global in nature. Another significant aspect of this movie is the steady dose of fear-mongering that Jones and his guests lay upon the narrative. Here is an example of what I'm talking about. They're going into the greatest depression. There will be no job growth. Unemployment will continue to escalate. Along with it, so too will crime, poverty, kidnappings, boss nappings. And the more things spin out of control, the harder the hammer is going to come down by the federal government to keep everyone in control. Power is much, much more important to them than money is. Money is only a waste of the means. Power is the end result. The elite's main goal is to destroy national sovereignty and individual independence. To consolidate their grip on power, the banksters create artificial debt bubbles that are mathematically impossible to pay back. These are those sinister, toxic assets, the complex financial instruments that they talk about but never really name. They're paper based on paper. They're credit default swaps, collateralized debt obligations, mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, structured investment... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing at Gerald Salente saying that there would be boss snappings. I, I don't think many of you out there would mind all that much if your bosses got nabbed by someone. <laughs> Nonetheless, it is interesting, though, in this movie that it seems like almost all of it was economically driven as the way to which the New World Order will install its regime and enact in its agenda. It's almost naive to look back and think to have to think that Jones would think that it was just a matter of getting people to wake up to the evils of the Federal Reserve fiat banking system and that this would lead to some sort of populist revolt where we re-enshrine the Constitution and uphold the founding American values. If three years of intermittent lockdowns and essentially forced vaccination uh, didn't wake people up, I'm pretty skeptical that anything will. Again, if the COVID regime taught us anything, it's that it doesn't matter what you tell people. They are not going to believe it. Most people are going to look the other way or they're going to trust the institutions because they don't feel like they are smart enough to make a decision on their own. So they will look to global elites on all of these questions and easily move along the path because it's a lot easier to do that than to A, think for yourself, or B, fight back if you genuinely see something evil. The behavior of most people during the COVID regime is really indicative to me and again, Jones's assertions fall rather flat when you look at how far people were willing to be pushed during an alleged crisis. And it wasn't even the sheer scope of the pandemic that made people act as they did. There were also implicit social threats levied against people for not conforming, as well as tying it into employment to a large degree, where if you didn't follow along with whatever the government was saying, 
on a day-to-day basis, you were socially ostracized, either upfront or secretly, and to that end, eventually threatened with your employment if you did not take the alleged vaccines that the corporate oligarchs of the pharmaceutical industry were pushing towards people. But tying this back into the idea of an economic collapse ushering in the global government, it is interesting to see how on the Western end of things in the post-COVID era, we are now seemingly permanently hobbled by excessive debt and spending during that time period. Now, sadly, I live here in Canada, and prior to the pandemic, even with Trudeau's reckless spending at a normal level pre-COVID, we were still in not that bad of shape compared to what we are now. Because for the first time in Canadian history, we are owing more than a trillion dollars on our national debt. Now again, we only represent about 10% of the population of the United States. This is an astronomical figure because of all the money that they spent on sending people stimmy checks or beefing up uh, vaccine passport registries and infrastructure, or buying the straight-up vaccines from pharmaceutical companies, almost all of which, a majority of which at least, were destroyed because of misuse, mishandling, or just straight-up no demand. I'm Dawn. And I'm Cole. Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world, these murders can be truly horrific and shocking, and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders, where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved, giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts, as well as on social media. Join us there. Bye! But unfortunately for Jones in this movie, he claims the main reason for the impending economic collapse is accounting control fraud, which he says includes criminal bankster CEOs selling fraudulent assets knowingly to other criminal buyers in the hopes of imploding the system from the inside out. And he notes specifically that the subprime crisis was the prefatory event to usher in this global regulatory scheme and how Obama continued the exact same Federal Reserve policies as Bush did in the prior administration. And that in this, Obama's administration is seen to be the culmination of all the evils of past political actors of ill repute and is purely interested in representing the interests of the Wall Street oligarchy. Interesting that only 14 years later, the bench is empty when it comes to the left and their corpse of a representative, the weekend at Bernie's presidency of Joe Biden, representing the party, and seemingly no one to hand the torch off to in the coming 2024 election. So it is interesting that for a administration, the Obama administration, which Jones saw as the totality of political evil, they really didn't have a whole lot of foresight on this topic. Uh, You know, for a globalist entity, they really aren't great at long-term planning, it would seem. 
because they haven't come up with a series of formidable and charismatic people to fill the ranks of the political elite once Biden is eventually ushered off either in a casket or off the political stage. And that itself speaks to some semblance of democratic legitimacy that still remains in that they still need to sell things to the American people. It's not a straight up authoritarian order that simply installs whatever agenda they want. There does have to be some semblance of liberal democratic principles going on or else it would be largely seen as illegitimate by the American people. For as Dave Smith frequently reminds us, uh, a huge white pill of the current moment is the fact that they still feel like they have to sell you the propaganda. It's not taken as a given that they're going to just do whatever they feel like. They still have to sell it. And this is a perfect example of where Jones goes wrong. The remnants of democracy still exist, and it, it is exemplified by the fact that not only do people so heavily invest into the idea of electing a president, but that if the policies of a given president are so bad that they can't even sell a bit of it, the next guy will be put in, and that will lead us down a seemingly different path. For I don't think I need to really stress the importance of realizing that in an alternate history, a Hillary Clinton administration would have been wildly different than the Trump presidency we eventually got. But let's listen to another clip from the movie. For decades, the media denied it existed. But now they're saying, oh, yes, there's going to be a global government, a new bank of the world, and we're going to pay our carbon taxes to it. What is it? It's nothing more than a private, hostile, corporate takeover of every sovereign nation on Earth. And then when you look at the philosophy of these global corporate chieftains, it is one of domination of the poor, domination of the population. It is a view that human life just isn't cheap. No, human life is a negative. And so no matter what they do, they have the rationale that it's in the greater interest to get rid of more human lives. They are so arrogant and they're so sure of themselves they're saying, yes, we created the European Union, we created the Euro, and this is our, from the people of the Bilderberg. We are going to create a World Bank. We're going to create a world government. They're saying it out loud and clearly. Suddenly, across the planet, their regional front banks had been identified by sovereign populations as the illegitimate shadow governments that they are. The controllers had moved too quickly and revealed their hand. Populations around the globe were seeing through the establishment's facade, past the puppet governments, and to the global architects that were pulling their strings. Where are the American people? Why have they lost their dignity? What? And I gotta say, in this regard, I do appreciate the moxie of Jones to include a lot of these highfalutin ideas about finance and monetary policy and global governance scheme to what I perceive to be a largely lowbrow audience. It is interesting that he can sell this to regular people, but again, this also makes me somewhat hopeful that people aren't what you think that they're going to be, and that if they simply heard a lot more dissident voices, they might change their minds 
But again, this is bumps up against the reality of what happened during the COVID regime. And so I'm very conflicted about the whole thing. But anyways, getting back to the movie, um, he does make this pitch that there's this Goldman Sachs Democrat Party alliance that can hypothetically perpetuate, and, th and this was very interesting, social justice goals. And an example that Max Kaiser noted in the movie was the Glass-Steagall destruction. Now, this was a bill that was put forth, I believe, in the late 90s that was ostensibly to promote home ownership by unifying the functions of banks to both be investment houses and lending institutions. Jones says that the corporate hyenas hounded government to break down this act and the politicians dressed it up as a way for the economically disadvantaged to own homes. Uh, again, a social justice goal to help get people to realize the American dream, even though they didn't have the means or the perhaps abilities to do it. So it's very interesting to see how even back then, Jones was talking about this merger of progressivism even though he didn't name it as such, with social justice goals to promote more of an elite idea of social cohesion, one that didn't come from the bottom up but was being forced top down. But again, Jones gets this wrong where he says that this is going to lead to the ultimate demise of the country, whereas... The financial collapse of 2008 and all the toxic derivatives, etc., etc., ended up fostering a more centralized national government that was seeking its own way in the world, much opposed and probably spiteful towards the U.S. policies that were systemically disruptive. So then Jones starts to get into how the Fed responded to the economic collapse of 2008. And he presents it largely as a uh, the Fed as a bankster cabal who set their own rates and manipulate the entire economy to the benefit of the multinational corporate banks. In one specific clip, I forgot about the supreme arrogance of then-Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, who, when being questioned by Representative Grayson in front of a congressional committee, actually cited the 1913 Federal Reserve Act as a defense against answering questions revolving around the bailing out of toxic derivatives, specifically in overseas markets like the European Union. It was something along the lines of Grayson asking, under what authority do you withhold the information that I'm requesting for you so that the American people can be known about who was bailed out and to the tune of what uh, monetary amount Bernanke says, well, the Federal Reserve, Act, Federal Reserve Act of 1913 gives me the discretion and the secrecy to do essentially whatever I want. An elite arrogance that is not lost on us up to this day. From there, Jones looks at Ron Paul's bill that he set out to audit the Fed in 2009, which apparently had 280 signatories in the Congress, but was squashed by corporate lobbyists within the banking industry. Again, another naive but seemingly important task at the time. Naive in the sense that 
it's kind of hilarious that Jones thought that a audit of the Federal Reserve would prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they were into some very disgusting practices and that they were illegitimately propping up institutions that didn't deserve to remain solvent, but that if the people just knew what was going on, then we would ultimately revolt against the system. Again, a system that almost everyone knows very little about and will gladly go along with if the elites in society tell people to follow. And this will become increasingly interesting as up here in Canada, currently our Federal Reserve, the equivalent, the Bank of Canada, is quote-unquote seeking input from the people to see whether they want a central bank digital currency. Something they obviously want to install and are creating this consultation system to kind of provide a guise uh, of the eventual policy they're going to implement anyways. And again, at this point in the film, we're roughly a halfway through it, where we actually start to get into the idea that Obama is a Manchurian candidate who is going to sell the hapless rubes in America globalism with an American face. And it was very creepy, the one video clip that he inserted into this movie of Obama, then-President Obama, giving his very first State of the Union address, and seated right behind him were Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, who were then Vice President and Speaker of the House, and noting that they were already extremely old at that point in 2009, and since then have only gotten significantly more senile and distant from what the political reality on the ground actually is. And it's around this point in the movie where Jones goes to great lengths to highlight, and quite rightly I would note, the significant overlap of administrations regarding their policies on surveillance, indefinite detention, economic steering, signing statements by the executive, and general foreign affairs slash war policy. He notes how in the previous administration, uh, Representative Dennis Kucinich, an old school Democrat who I actually still look up to as a champion of real liberalism, not the newly packaged progressive leftism that we see now, he was trying to impeach Bush in the latter stages of his presidency for signing statements that directly violate acts of Congress and the Constitution. Now, I believe he was directly tying these to war-related amendments to bills, but the point stands nonetheless that you should be able to impeach a president if they directly violate the Constitution, although in the times since the Bush administration, who wildly went off the reserve in regards to what was permissible under uh, an, an administration's reach, was trying to delegitimize anything the Bush presidency did because of its inherent destructiveness towards domestic relations, social cohesion, and ultimately, long-term American success and legitimacy on the world stage. California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. 
But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. And again, it seems like in this vein, this is where the corporatization of government was accelerated, uh, this transition between Bush and Obama, who, despite their topographical differences, did have a lot of overlap in regards to the actual policies they set forth. Obama said he was going to close Guantanamo Bay, and he didn't. He said he was going to go after the corporate criminals responsible for the economic collapse, and no one was arrested. He escalated drone warfare and the targeting of U.S. uh, individuals overseas. He said he was going to stop all this and get back to a rule of law, and he didn't. He actually did some surges in regard to the warfare end in Afghanistan and Iraq, which failed miserably and arguably created the environment in which ISIS came to thrive. And he expanded, we know now because of the Edward Snowden and WikiLeaks documents that they went to great lengths to increase surveillance and indefinite detentions and go after the American citizenry as if they were the terrorists. In this regard, Jones says that, quote, Obama is the NWO's closing man, end quote. And this is somewhat of a great point because Obama and the left generally, especially up here with the Trudeau regime now, use their party's brand to mask what they're actually doing. Uh, they, they seem to prey on tricking low-information voters and create false versions of history while implementing their larger agenda. One example up here with Trudeau is this incessant need to try and disarm the public by going after various gun control regulations. On the surface, to a blue-pilled normie, they would probably view this as something beneficial because in their mind, less guns equal less crime, and therefore less bad things happening, and it has the added bonus of differentiating us between the Americans and our highfalutin Canadian ideals. But it's not hard to see that they ultimately want to take away your guns because they don't want you to be able to fight back if something goes off the rails. And again, this cropped up curiously during the pandemic where Trudeau is going after handguns and in some instances even long guns up here. And at the exact time that people were starting to revolt against the COVID regime, most notably with the trucker convoy in Ottawa, even going so far as to try and put out some fake stories through the corporate state media, the CBC, that the truckers had caches of weapons among them and were possibly thinking of overthrowing the Canadian government in Ottawa in a January 6th style event, but one that would actually succeed because they had so many guns. And 
again, this is another strong point of what Jones is doing in this movie by showing how seemingly pure and uh, benevolent figures like Obama and Trudeau are just generally trying to do what's good for people in the country. They're not trying to do anything nefarious. They're trying to solidify a more prosperous and uh, socially cohesive nation. One that is free from crime and it's free from economic hardships and free from bigotry of all sorts and shapes so that they can help you realize what you should know already. And it's that government is here to help and you simply need to go along with the program and you'll be better off in the long run because, well, they just know better than you. All you have to do is listen and believe in the ideals that they spout and everything will be a-okay. And in this regard, Obama did tend to play this part of the NWO closing man, although he didn't ultimately close anything. But he did set it up nicely. In regards to climate change, he got the U.S. on board with all these international agreements about carbon emissions. He took a uh, lead-from-behind approach with regards to international conflicts like the Libya invasion, where... They kept saying that NATO was just in the background, that the U.S. presence in Libya was just in the background, and they were going to let the international community lead. You throw in his apologetics tour in the Middle East in the very early stages of his uh, administration. You throw in his Nobel Prize, uh, funnily, for he is the Nobel uh, Peace Prize winner with the most drone strikes in the history of that award, and that's an interesting thing to note. But that figures like Obama did tend to try and foster a more global perspective, a more internationally sound regime that would facilitate the entry of various state actors into an overarching structure that could be for the benefit of all humanity. At least that's the way they present it. I've always kind of said that when they present these things as such, these progressive elites like Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau, they are sort of, I think, thinking about it in a way that they are trying to create the post-scarcity world of a Star Trek kind of fantasy, of a peaceful one-world government, and, and nobody needs anything, and we all believe in these progressive values of human rights, and they've extended it way beyond the pale at this point with the trans ideology and such, but regardless, they want to present somewhat of a Star Trek world where everything can be for the benefit of humanity if you just believe. Although in practice, like I noted in my democide episode, I think that the reality of such ideas ultimately lead to utopianism coupled with socialism that lead towards a more USSR slash communist China type of result. Because in experiment after experiment, like we've seen so many times in the past, whenever there's a strong correlation between utopian ideals of a regime and the necessity to implement these things quickly, we see disastrous results where people are possibly democided, they're at least marginalized to the point of being non-citizens, 
and the goals of the regime become the be-all and end-all to the detriment of individual freedom and liberty. But among some of the more prescient points that he makes in this regard, there are absurdities like this. Security Council, 1,191st meeting of the Security Council. For a couple of hours, you could say Mr. Obama was yes, president of the world. It is the story of a world that understands that no difference or division is worth destroying all that we have built. In my own country, it has brought Democrats and Republican leaders together. Uh, leaders like George Shultz, Bill Perry, Henry Kissinger, and Sam Nunn, who are with us here today. Barack Obama is the first president to hold two posts simultaneously. And there's a good reason for that. It's illegal. Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution forbids any U.S. president from serving any foreign government or institution. He swears an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. But now Barack Obama has sworn allegiance to the global government and the United Nations that he heads up. Let that sink in real good. Barack Obama now heads the United Nations Security Council. You cannot serve two masters, and Obama isn't. He's selling out the last vestiges of sovereignty that this country had. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the destruction of our nation, and it's also high treason. I mean, what can you say, really? Uh, Obama did serve as the head of the Security Council for a brief period of time, but this tradition doesn't seem to have been passed on to either Trump or Biden, who is through his first term almost at this point, and has not actually taken up that role. So this is a little bit of irrational fear-mongering from Jones, who didn't really need to do this, but he chose to anyway because he felt like the threat was so obvious that it was going to happen and that he needed to warn you that Barack Obama was essentially heading up a global military and would take over the United Nations and merge the U.S. interests with that of the U.N., it is kind of funny to envision this type of scenario, but I think that we all know by this point, if they were actually going to do that, it's something that they would not directly bring out into the open. And regardless of who actually heads or chairs this United Nations Security Council, it is, for the time being at least, largely known that the U.S. is in charge of it, and that regardless of what the U.N. says or does, Various state actors have veto power to either ignore or completely rail against whatever the wishes of the council is. And as Noam Chomsky constantly brought up in the past, the number one violator of all the UN's programs and policies and votes is by far the United States. So having an international body that's only there to verify things you were already going to do is kind of hollow anyways. Uh, it seems like the UN is largely a formality at this point and something of a giant podium where various state leaders can go up and grandstand about their causes of the day. So again, things like this are a missed shot by Jones throughout the movie. But then he gets into clips like this where it seemingly has more resonance for a modern application when we start to consider topics like misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, or what other types of information that the current liberal progressive order finds uh, inconvenient, unhelpful, or detrimental to their objectives. Here's an example. 
using a tribal system, we're all tribal to an extent, that's why we even bother to vote for a tribal leader. Uh, this is well understood, that's why we're supplied with these leaders. And because the, the average man was to become more disengaged from his own destiny as the expert class arose, it was decided that, that the males would get their, their, their outlet, basically, um, being gradually becoming helpless as, as males through sports. Therefore, they'd have a tribal team they could identify with, uh, they could um, cheer them on as they were winning, and their own personal lives, they were getting nowhere. They were getting disenfranchised, in a sense, as experts took over um, decision-making for them in all kinds of fields. So this was psychology at use, uh, planned before they even implemented the sports. Uh, when radio came along, of course, they, they, they used that to the maximum. Uh, sports for the men, um, soaps basically for the women, and then in came television, as I say, with its alpha state, its hypnotic state. And sure enough, around the 1960s, really, 50s and 60s, it took off. It really, really took off. Uh, and men became glued on Saturday nights to the sports shows. A culture industry, which is called by its own the culture industry. The Soviet Union had a department called the culture industry. Their actors and directors were called the cultural leaders. Leaders. Because they would, like a computer, people are like computers. Um, all you have to do is keep giving them new updates every so often and you can change an entire country or a nation or a block of nations who are all getting the same uploads, upgrades at the same time along certain paths. Today we call it political correctness. Most people want to belong to their peer group. They want to be the same as everyone else when it comes to opinions. In fact, they judge their own personal sanity by bouncing ideas off their, their neighbors and friends who will answer back and agree on these same topics in kind. It doesn't matter if the topics or, the, or what you're given are facts or, or utter nonsense, as long as everyone agrees at the same time, you'll say, well, I'm sane, and your friends will all agree because they've had the same information given to them. But they've been programmed, and I, I'm sad because I know that it's hard for people like that to take an interest, a serious interest in world affairs, to take a serious interest in what their elected officials are doing. And they're not going to be really inclined to study uh, or discover the deception that's being used against them. And so I'm sad because I, I see all of that in a flash in my mind as being an indication of how easy it is for the masses to be manipulated. The scientific dictatorship understands what makes human beings tick. They understand our psychology. They've studied it, and they're using it against us. But the minute the public awakens to the fact that there is an agenda to manipulate them, and the second the public realizes that they are being conditioned and controlled, the establishment begins to lose that edge they've got over people. So all I ask viewers to do is to think for themselves and to study public relations, to study advertising, to study propaganda, and to realize how much of it is out there in their daily lives. And then make the decision for yourself. I just want people to think on their own and to not have their decisions and their thoughts and their ideas uh, prepackaged and basically downloaded into them.
Now, I am very sympathetic to a lot of the points that were brought up in this section that you just heard. The idea of creating tribalism is an offshoot of the old-school Machiavellian way of divide and conquer and being able to more easily control people if you have them split into artificial camps and have them fighting over issues that are largely irrelevant to the bigger picture. For example, abortion, uh, trans rights, um, COVID vaccines, etc., etc. And I really like this idea of giving people common narratives that they can bounce off one another to maintain or at least uh, certify their own sanity within this increasingly crazy world. And maybe that's why uh, regime narratives held up so strongly during the COVID regime. It's a scary situation. People are seeing lots of death and destruction on TV from the virus. And instead of actually looking at the basic facts of what they're being told and reinterpreting them through their own lens or possibly even a more uh, sophisticated lens of somebody who is a dissident in that area, they instead find it easier to just mass download the same information and then bounce it off one another. I'm sure if you recall during the heights of the pandemic, uh, people, whenever you would meet people and speak with them, they were almost chomping at the bit to try and re restate exactly what the news had told them earlier that day or perhaps the days prior and just to see if you were on board with what they said or if you were adhering to the new guidelines whether it be masks on or masks off vaccines in or vaccines off for now uh, lockdowns on or lockdowns off so in this regard and again i give jones a little bit of credit at the end of this for emphasizing the necessity of thinking for yourself, something that almost everyone in the world who you shouldn't trust would never say to you. For example, anybody in the corporate media will never end off their segments by saying, here's both sides of the story and we just want you to make a choice based on what you think. This pretense is completely gone at this point. They're telling you exactly what to think and they're telling you exactly who to hate for not espousing the same view. Hi, I'm Ashley, a true crime fanatic. I'm Dan, and I don't know anything about true crime. Together, we host Fuck That, a true crime podcast that covers cases that highlight important topics that are often overlooked, such as wrongful convictions, domestic violence, and social inequities, sprinkled in with the occasional case with spooky themes. If you are looking for your next true crime fix delivered candidly with a hint of sarcasm, you can listen and subscribe to bi-weekly episodes of Fuck That wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook and Twitter at FThatPod and at FThat underscore pod on Instagram. And going forward into the movie, he then gets into a section relating the climate change issue and how this will inevitably be utilized by global elites to forge some sort of national carbon tax scheme that will ultimately pay tribute to the global government and help enforce totalitarian control of society through carbon limits and carbon credits. Now, it's interesting to consider this topic from Jones's vantage point in 2009 to what we're seeing now, because if there was an avenue for global elites who 
want to enact some sort of totalitarian regime on society or the world, there are few issues better poised to do this than climate change. The risks are apparently existential, and immediate action is always recommended to counter future threats. Uh, right now in Canada, as I speak, we are under a carbon tax regime where a portion of everything we buy that has carbon, which is almost everything, has a varying degree of taxation attached to it, which is funneled to the federal government and then reimbursed to us in a significantly reduced form in a climate action initiative check. Now, this is a quarterly issued federal government check to all the citizens of Canada to help apparently offset the carbon tax that they have been forced to pay. It ultimately results in, from what I gather, something about 5 to 10% of your total spending throughout the year, probably even significantly less than that. I would be surprised if it's ultimately 2 to 3%. But the idea is that you pay for the carbon tax, and then you get a quarterly issued check that will help you deal with the cost of the carbon tax, which you can then go on to spend on rising energy costs like gasoline, which in effect essentially destroys the whole idea of the program. But we all know that this isn't really about deterring people from using carbon-intensive energies or practices. This is about funneling more money to the federal government. Because these monies that they uh, accrue from the taxation don't actually get earmarked to go back into the fund. They're thrown into the general coffers of the federal government, and then a portion of this is taken out to issue these climate action checks to people. But getting back to Jones's assertion, the climate change issue is one that I think he had particular foresight on because of the global nature of the alleged issue. And we've seen various international agreements revolving around this topic where, and famously Trump reneged on, all these various uh, COP programs uh, where individual nation states would sign up and then pledge to reduce their carbon emissions by certain amounts by a given year. It is curious that despite the fact that they've been saying for decades at this point the problem was going to rear its ugly head and destroy beachfront communities worldwide and raise the ocean levels and create deforestation and mass deserts, none of this has seemingly happened and although the glaciers seem to be slightly smaller, they're not completely destroyed like people were telling me back in the 90s when these topics first started getting talked about. But the willingness of progressive leaders in various Western countries to pledge allegiance to the climate change issue seems to me to implicate some sort of a slow-rolling, slow-boiling scheme to get everyone on board with similar rules and regulations for some uh, far-off endpoint where we all agree on everything. This is despite the fact that if China and Indian, India aren't on board with any of these changes, they're all moot to begin with. 
because they produce an overwhelming majority of the carbon emissions in this world and Canada in introducing some sort of carbon tax like we have, even if we were to completely get rid of all carbon usage today, would only account for, I don't know, a few percent of global emissions. And uh, anything we do short of trying to get the whole world to do these things is pretty much just pissing in the wind. But if you take a topographical view and look at what has happened since 2009 when Jones made this movie, there is this slow creep towards international climate objectives and uh, taxation laws therein. So in this regard, Jones was ahead of the curve in recognizing the threat that internationally correlated issues like climate change would play in the preceding decades in solidifying a more unified uh, global governance scheme where, and as we're seeing now with ESG scores and corporations in America, pledging to do more to be better global citizens and to try and unify uh, policy and regulation around the ideals of the climate cult to better the uh, future of humanity, ostensibly. When in reality, what they seem to be really are just cash grabs and funding the inevitable collapse of the fiat banking system and to keep national uh, welfare initiatives and social assistance programs in uh, insolvency Whereas we know that if we added up all the national debt and unfunded liabilities, uh, they could raise the carbon taxes to 100% for decades and we still wouldn't even be close to paying off these debts. And all we're really doing in the process, as we're seeing here in Canada, is making life significantly worse for the average person by having them pay increasingly large shares of their personal income towards dealing with things like carbon taxes while energy prices are going up, while housing pricing is going up, and while all the printing of the COVID era, and not to mention all the money printing of previous government eras that were involved with wars and bank bailouts, are inflating the currency away to a point where it doesn't really matter what you do with your money because it's getting bled dry anyways. There is seemingly no safe place for you to put your money right now. And then when you connect the climate change issue with alleged highfalutin ideals of something like a central bank digital currency and social credit scores that we've seen in places like China, it's not hard to imagine a situation where all of these uh, seemingly disparate policies get unified under one umbrella where you can actually track how people spend their money and reducing their ability to spend things, spend money on things that the government deems destructive, harmful, or otherwise antisocial. So again, in this regard, Jones was ahead of the curve when it came to things like recognizing the inherent threat of the climate change issue in regards to national sovereignty and the overarching day-to-day uh, -day liberty that one can express through the purchasing of products and services that each individual sees fit. And moving on into the end portion of this movie, the very final stages of it, we see Alex Jones talking about the gradual nationalization of all police forces, 
the seeming push towards national service as a patriotic uh, necessity and to using children and the primary education system to indoctrinate children to become members of the global community as opposed to Americans with families. And at this point, I will let Alex Jones explain his perspective on this. But Big Brother doesn't stop there. Children are being indoctrinated inside the public schools nationwide to spy on their parents. You can give information without having to give your name. You guys can get paid for good tips up to $200. The New York Times praised public school programs in the United States and England that are training children to report their parents for eco-crimes, like taking a hot bath or letting the water run while you brush your teeth. All of that violates their carbon footprint credit allotment. Check it out, check it out. And that's where we come in. We're the carbon cops and we're on the lookout for energy wasters. Our job is to get all Australian households to cut their carbon emissions. So carbon cops is a program that looked at energy use in a domestic sense. We went into people's houses and got them to reduce their energy use by 50%. Sadly, the Boy Scouts of America have now contracted with the Urban Warfare Mount Training. The federal grants are very specific. The scouts are trained to carry out seek and destroy missions against disgruntled veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces. Good evening, everyone. Homeland Security is enlisting some unlikely new recruits to fight terrorism and help with other emergencies. The Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts across the country and here in East Tennessee are now taking part. Nine-year-old Elise Murphy has already earned a lot of Girl Scout patches. And now, Every member of the 3.4 million Girl Scouts of America is now being trained by the Federal Emergency Management Agency to aid and support Homeland Security in disaster and anti-terror operations. <laughs> well, as much as I like the idea of Girl Scouts engaging in anti-terrorism, um, yeah, as with most things Jones does, he seems to start off with something interesting and then expands it into something Ridiculous. Uh, this being a great example, because f- knowing what we know now and with the push in schools of uh, gender ideology onto children, it's not hard to see that although Jones was, I guess, on the right track or in the right ballpark, he completely went off the rails and tried to ascertain what this meant in terms of a mixing of terrorism, eco-alarmism, and totalitarian control. Again, we're not seeing people uh, being ratted out by their children for eco-crimes. At least not yet, and I doubt that would even happen. But the point remains that, yes, we do need to recognize the vast importance of what is being taught in schools. And again, this was made widely apparent during the deepest throes of the COVID regime. When kids were doing their Zoom classes, parents were actually able to see what they were being taught, and a lot of them revolted against it. They were showing up 
at parent count parent teacher association meetings and uh, going to school board meetings and revolting against what they saw as a gross encroachment into the familial sphere. And although I'm not worried about my kids coming home and reporting me as a domestic terrorist for leaving the hose running at night, I am concerned deeply about what they're being told in regards to critical race theory or gender identity theory or anything to do with social justice in regards to Native issues or Black Lives Matter, etc., etc., so in this respect, I think Jones uh, jumped the gun in regards to how far the indoctrination would go and what it would result in. But again, we seem to see this slow creep towards progressive liberalism uh, inserting itself into every aspect of a children's uh, internal thoughts where it should not or need not apply. And again, I should note here that I am not against the idea of people learning about many of the subjects I just uh, listed in somewhat of a nuanced fashion in schools, but instead what we see is teachers and school boards insisting that they know better than the parents and can better educate the children about the way the world should be. Getting away from their classically trained goals of teaching kids uh, how to think, they're teaching them what to think. And again, this is a thing where Jones is in the right ballpark but misses the mark because he is so tempted by this idea of a totalitarian, authoritarian government just immediately installing itself and telling you that Big Brother is here. He completely misses the historical trend towards a slow creep of institutional takeover. One that's not done with uh, truncheons and, and guns, but rather with uh, kernels of ideas planted in the young minds of boys and girls across the nation who will tend to think of the world much differently in both uh, positive and negative ways. I'd say mostly negative, but they're planting kernels uh, to reap the harvest of a progressive, democratic, liberal future uh, instead of simply teaching them maths, science, and uh, classic English skills. But I digress. In this final segment, we will hear Jones's final pitch for why uh, the New World Order is coming, the corporate oligarchy is poising itself to take over, and what you should think about as you wrap up this documentary. This is our last chance to not relive history. Hundreds of nations have fallen to tyranny in the last century alone. America is a prize coveted by the despotic megacorporations that now dominate our planet. If their world government is truly to rise, freedom and the republic for which it stands must fall. Now is the time for all good men and women to come to the aid of their country. One of the greatest events in history is taking place before our very eyes. For many generations into the future, our progeny will look back on this time as either a place where humanity rose to the challenge and made a stand against the forces of darkness, or as a time when the planet fell into the grip of a merciless high-tech tyranny.
part two of Fall of the Republic, you will learn the elite's master plan for humanity. But more importantly, you will learn how to stop that plan, reverse the criminal tide, and reignite the flame of liberty on the long march to man's ultimate destiny. So again, I am sympathetic to the idea of us trying to avoid a technocratic progressive tyranny. I'm skeptical and somewhat blackpilled on the topic because of the experiences of the last six years specifically. And by that I mean the tail end of the Trump administration and the lived experiences we all had through the COVID regime. Uh, People are being trained uh, through media in the education system and entertainment to all uh, bow to this idea of technocratic superiority and wisdom. But it should be noted overall that this falls well short of the global governance new world order that Jones predicted. In this sense, he couldn't have been more wrong. Because despite the gains that different, I would say, civilizational structures have made in the Western liberal democracies in regards to centralizing authority and trying to get everyone to adhere to the same policy objectives in regards to, say, virus control, climate change, and international relations— There is no worldwide consensus for anything even resembling a global government. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a situation where somehow China and Russia and India would be uh, cajoled or otherwise tricked into becoming a part of an American corporatist world order. We're seeing this right now with the reverberations coming from the Russia-Ukraine war, which fractured the international community and has almost forced uh, the BRICS-plus parties into creating their own sort of bipolar world order. It seems like the only way that Jones's vision can come to fruition if there was some sort of uh, assassination attempts on both Putin and Xi and waiting in the wings where uh, Western liberal Democrats who were in the wings waiting to take over these seats of power and then they could all coalesce around similar ideas. But this seems not only far-fetched but completely impossible. But on the positive side for Jones, he did notice the creeping authoritarianism of state surveillance, the seeming blending of boundaries between various administrations and their policy objectives, the prescient observation about climate change becoming an international regime of its own, and of solidifying uh, elite consensus on issues like warfare and pandemics. So far from being a new world order that encompasses the entirety of the globe, what we seem to be approaching is rather a civilizational uh, block of countries that seem to loosely identify as progressive liberal democracies. Now, it's hard to even say at this point what will become of this, because a large part of it 
seems to hinge completely on this Russia-Ukraine war. I don't see a situation in which Russia loses uh, much of what they've already gained, and I see instances where NATO, led by the, led by the Americans, seem to be creeping in and almost posturing for World War III. If that happens, then all bets are off, and we don't really know how that will pan out. But it seems to be that it will only serve to entrench the existing alliances within the international order and poise ourselves to become a new world order of North America and Europe as opposed to a world government. So that is my review of Alex Jones's uh, Fall of the Republic. It brings up a lot of important issues. It veers off wildly in many parts into seemingly incoherent nonsense about uh, overarching state control that will crop up overnight as opposed to a slow creep that will come and eventually ensnare us in some sort of economic uh, dystopia. But far from being ridiculous, it is far-fetched and, like I mentioned at the beginning, seemingly quaint and old-fashioned compared to the challenges we now face in the modern world. Ones that only seem to be getting more complicated and exacerbated by things like technological advancement in regards to artificial general intelligence, which will change our world in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. So overall, I give this film three gay frogs out of five. And I hope that you check out the show notes and watch this for a trip down memory lane in a world where all of our problems could have seemingly been solved by just exposing the Federal Reserve and the international banking structure. Obviously, no one paid heed to Jones's warnings. And even though he was off the mark on many of his predictions, it's not hard to see how he could spin his uh, documentary film in a position where he could credibly claim that though he didn't have it exactly right, he was in the ballpark. So again, thank you for listening and stay tuned because I will be reviewing the second part to this movie, which is called The Obama Deception. So stay well, be good to each other, and take care. Darkcast Network, indie pods with a dark side. I'm Jackie Moranti, and I produce a podcast called Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight. 
Have you ever read or watched any post-apocalyptic fiction? Were you one of the first people to see The Road or I Am Legend when they came out? Do you wonder if those things could really happen? Could the world as we know it be toppled by a disease, a global crisis, or a natural disaster? I assure you that it could. My show talks about the precursors to apocalyptic events. I like to call it pre-apocalyptic nonfiction. I talk about history and how we never learned from it. The present and how we tend to ignore every warning sign. And the future and what it will mean if we don't take care of our resources. The hands of the doomsday clock have been set at 100 seconds to midnight for three years now. Can we make the hands turn back? Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like weird, spooky, and strange history, then I have the podcast for you. My name is Brenda, and I'm the host of Horrifying History. Are you into the dark side of history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, the paranormal and unsolved mysteries, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Get your horrifying history fix by subscribing today on your favorite podcast provider or by going to our website at horrifyinghistory.podbean.com.